Soon the Watch Your Step season will be upon us. The season where your steps cover themselves with sheets of ice. Where ordinarily firm footing disguises itself from the slippery hazard it's become. Watch Your Step replaces goodbye as the parting words for the winter season. This cautionary phrase isn't reserved just for winter, though. It can be overheard when people are carrying heavy loads, when toddlers are navigating unprotected corners in their homes, or when descending steps in the dark, or watching out for the landmines of children's toys, and plenty of other times. It's good to remember to watch your step, always. It's dangerous when you don't. It can cost you a hip, it can cost you an eye, it can cost you a femur, it can cost you a perfectly prepared Thanksgiving turkey. Or you could find yourself stumbling into a hole in the ground in a construction zone. This actually happened a few years ago as someone was texting on their phone, and I guess their phone wasn't smart enough to warn them of the impending doom right in front of them. It's important to watch your step. In our text this morning, Paul encourages believers in Ephesus to watch their steps as well. I invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5 as I read verses 15 through 21. And as we see what kind of instruction Paul gives believers as they walk their lives. I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word if you're able. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 through 21. Reading in Jesus' name. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth, Lord. Help us to see you in your word today and to apply these truths to our lives appropriately. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Paul begins here by informing believers to be careful. But what is it that they need to look out for? What do they need to watch out for? They didn't have cell phones to distract them back in the day. They didn't have Legos viciously hiding in the dark. But there was a very real danger lurking around. What does Paul say in verse 15 and 16? Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. The days are evil, he says. That's not just to say that it's a bad day here or a bad day there, but these days are viciously, actively wicked, trying to draw people into damnation. That's the kind of evil that Paul is talking about here. That's the kind of evil that the days in which these believers were living found themselves. And it's the same kind of evil that we find ourselves living amongst in the days in which we live. The days are viciously, actively wicked, trying to draw us away from God and instead into damnation. In the next chapter, Paul will tell these believers of the cosmic battle that they're engaged in. Whether they realize it or not, there is a spiritual battle currently going on. And so he says, arm yourselves, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and put on the armor of God. 
to stand firm against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And there are so many different ways in which this present evil age seeks to steal your soul. It offers you all kinds of entertainment, all kinds of distractions, anything to get your mind off of this very real spiritual struggle that we are all in. It turns your attention away from God to anything else. And it presents sin as opportunities for pleasure and excitement rather than the death that it inevitably leads to. And these days love to tell you how good you are, how strong you are, how adequate you are in and of yourselves, how invincible that you are. And it gets you to trust in yourself. There's a part of us that loves to hear that message. Who doesn't want to hear you're perfect in and of yourself? You don't need anybody else. You're fine. You can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. We love to hear that we're sufficient. We love to hear how strong we are. We love to hear that you're okay, that you don't have to worry. You're safe. You're fine. The fact of the matter is there's a very dark part of us that is still very much alive. That old nature that rears its ugly head, sometimes blatantly in our lives, but other times discreetly. And it attacks you. It attacks you head on, telling you that you can't be a Christian. Just look at your life. A Christian wouldn't do the things that you do. Or it attacks you subtly by slowly dismissing the inerrant word of God for some other subjective standard of truth, saying this is what God's word says, but that doesn't apply to you. Don't worry about that. Just follow your heart. Do what feels right. Do what's right in your own heart and soul and mind. And it distorts the good gifts that God has given to you. And instead, from changes them from the blessings that God has intended them to be into idols, which don't lead us to God, but instead distract us from him and turn us away from him. These days are evil, and we must be careful. We have to watch our step. We need to walk wisely. But what does it mean to walk wisely in the days in which we live? For starters, it's recognizing the evil that surrounds us and calling it what it is. Recognizing that we live with a sense of urgency that, yes, there is a present evil force that is actively seeking to devour you. Paul says something else, though. He says, making the most of your time. Well, it's easy to take this to mean that we shouldn't waste time. And it's true, we shouldn't waste time. We should be good stewards with the time that God has given us. But that's not what Paul is getting at here. What does it mean to make the most of your time? He isn't saying that we all need to be better at multitasking. Some of us, myself included, have a hard enough time just focusing on one task at hand, let alone multiple tasks at the same time. Another way that this phrase could be translated is keep buying up the opportunity or buying it up completely. In other words, purchasing all that it has to offer. What does this look like? What does this mean? I'm sure you guys have played the game Monopoly before. And the first time you're going, making your way around the board, you're trying to figure out, now, do I want to buy this property that I landed on right now? It's not worth much, and I want to make sure I have money as I get later on around the board. But if you don't buy that property, someone else is going to buy that property. And the next time you land, you're going to have to pay for it. But we're always wondering, will I have enough money? But this idea that Paul is getting at here is keep buying up the property because the money is not your, your, your own. You're not spending something. You're receiving something. You're receiving the grace of God. Every opportunity, make the most of it. Keep, continue to give yourselves over for these opportunities. 
Keep buying these opportunities up for you. Keep receiving the grace of God. What is it that we are to buy out? Paul explained it earlier in the letter. Every opportunity to imitate God, that we ought to do that. Every opportunity to be renewed in spirit. Every opportunity to put on the new self, to put to death the old self. Every opportunity we have to walk as children of the light. Every opportunity to grow in Christ. Or in other words, every opportunity to receive God's grace. Because apart from God's grace, we can't do any of these things. So Paul says, don't think you're good enough, but continue to give yourself over to receiving God's grace each and every day. We each have a constant need of his grace, and we need to be reminded of what he has done for us because we sin every day, don't we? We're reminded of our own inadequacies every day or our own pride that says, you're good to go, you don't need any help. That's sin. We need to be reminded what Christ has done for us and that we are forgiven in him and him alone. We need to be reminded that it is not by our works that we're saved, but by his grace that we are saved. We need the reminder that we live in evil days and we need to be strengthened by Christ. Walking wisely is taking every opportunity we have to receive God's grace. Walking wisely is recognizing the numerous pitfalls that surround us and seek to bring us down, and not just bring us down, but to destroy our faith and that seeks to steal our souls. We need to watch our step and walk wisely by taking up every opportunity to receive God's grace. Paul continues to encourage these believers in verse 17. And he says, So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be foolish. That message in and of itself ought to be sufficient, right? Don't be foolish. Just think. Don't sin. And I wish we, I could say that to myself and that would solve all my problems. But unfortunately, I'm thick-skulled. It takes me a while for things to sink in. And we like to learn the hard way, don't we? And it's not that easy. But Paul encourages us here not to be foolish. So how do we avoid being foolish? And the answer is found in the latter half of that sentence. Understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord. What is God's will? That's the million-dollar question that I'm sure we've all asked ourselves at one point at time in our lives. What does God want me to, to, to do here in this situation? And we think we act as though it's some hidden, far-out thing that we have to put on our Sherlock Holmes hacks and figure it out. But the will of God is simple. And the will of God has been revealed to us specifically in his word. It's general, but it's specific. What is this will of God? Just start reading Ephesians 5 backwards from our text. Verse 11 says, Don't participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. All things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Paul's saying here, don't participate in sin and wickedness and all these evil things. Don't do it. Instead, expose them. Bring these things to the light. That sin that you struggle with, that you hope nobody finds out about, he's saying, bring it to the light. Confess it. And let the light of Christ shine on that sin and drive that sin away from you. Let it be forgiven in Christ. Don't try to cover it up or hide it. You will be forgiven as we confess our sin and bring it to the light, and Christ will shine on you. God's will for you, first and foremost, and most simply, 
is to confess your sin and to be forgiven, not to hide it. And this is part of what it means to be children of light, as he talks about in verse 8. But rewinding a little further in the text, and you'll find God's will specified again in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. As God's children, we ought to resemble our Father. We ought to resemble what it is that he has done for us. And he tells us how to do that, how to be in his image in verse 2. To sacrificially give of ourselves as an offering and service to God. And we see how God receives that service as a pleasing aroma, holy and acceptable to him because of what he has done for us. The end of chapter 4 has all kinds of practical and specific ways to live out God's will for our lives. He says, forgiving each other, as in God and Christ, has forgiven you. Putting away all bitterness, all wrath, all anger and slander. Using our words not to tear people down, but instead to edify others. Laying aside our own old sinful natures. And to live as those who know the truth that Christ was crucified, dead, and buried, and has risen again for you to rescue you from the bondage of sin and death, that we would know the love of Christ, and that we would be filled up with all the fullness of God. This is the will of God for your life, for every single one of us. But simply knowing God's will doesn't prevent us from being foolish, however. Because you can know God's will. You can read these things and say, oh, that sounds like a good idea. And just completely walk in the other direction and ignore it and not do anything about it. To live as though God's will was hidden and not obviously here revealed to you. To live as though it doesn't exist. To live as though nothing in your life has changed. To live not as redeemed children of the light, but instead slaves of darkness, continuing to give yourself over to sin, death, and destruction. To live as though Christ has not rescued you from eternal death. It's easy to ignore that truth. To just put this church truth in a box that we take out whenever we need it. But that isn't being careful. That isn't making the most of every opportunity. Or in other words, it's foolish. It's not walking wisely. And not only is it foolish, but it's dangerous. Because the days in which we live are evil. Continuing in the passage, Paul gives an example of worldly foolishness here in contrast to the godly wisdom. He says, drunkenness. Do not be drunk with wine. And drunkenness makes you incapable of wisdom. Drunkenness makes you incapable of watching your step, incapable of spiritual functions. And as it says here in the text, do not be drunk with wine. That's not leaving a little caveat for you, but bourbon and hard liquor and beer is okay, so go ahead and do those things. No, wine was the intoxicating drink of the time. It says, don't get drunk, period. Don't be filled with these things that change your judgment, that hinder your judgment, but instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be chasing temporary pleasures for things that will not last, but instead be filled with the Spirit. What is this filling of the Spirit? This filling of the Spirit isn't a, a second blessing that you need. It's not that you're inadequate in and of yourselves through Christ right now. That's not what Paul is getting at. As we've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we have received the Holy Spirit, and he is there. 
Paul writes earlier in Ephesians 1 that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So you are adequate in Christ Jesus as Christ dwells in you. You don't lack anything. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Being full of the Spirit is explained in the rest of the sentence here in our text. Verses 19 through 21. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Paul isn't prescribing here for each one of us to make our lives into a musical production. As entertaining as that would be, I'd love to see it. That's not what he's saying. He's encouraging us to share the mighty deeds of God, to have them on our lips, always and continually, and not just on our lips, but in our hearts, that we continue to think and thank God for what he has given to us. Another aspect in verse 19 that I found interesting is that this first phrase here, speaking to one another, could also be translated speaking to yourself. Not just greeting one another with hymns and spiritual songs and uh, praises of God, but speaking to yourself in these things as well. Which one of us here doesn't need a reminder of what God has done for you in your life? Which one of us doesn't need a reminder of what Christ has completed for you on the cross? Which one of us needs, needs a, doesn't need a reminder of what Christ has done for us in his word? We need to be reminded of that daily. And as we walk our lives here in, in this earth and we see the pitfalls that there are that we can possibly go to, we need to be reminded that Christ has saved us from that darkness. We need to tell others as we see brothers and sisters stumbling through life, God has saved you and rescued you from that kingdom of darkness. Live as children of the light. Turn from your sin, confess it, and be forgiven in Christ Jesus. We need these reminders. It's good to remind ourselves of God's work in our lives, and not only in our lives, but in the world as well, and to look back in Scripture and to continue to thank and praise God for what he has done, because it prevents us from being foolish. And doing this activity is being full of the Spirit, overflowing with joy and thankfulness for what he has done. But it's also walking carefully, which Paul is saying here. There's one more verse left in this passage. It almost appears to be an afterthought, as though you wouldn't be missing much if Paul ended that sentence in verse 20. We already have got the meat of the message there. Be thankful, greet one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. <clears throat> Walk wisely, conduct yourself with wisdom, don't get drunk, all these things. Know the will of God. But the Holy Spirit has inspired him to write these next words too. And so these next words are God's will for you. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. We can discuss the need to watch our step by living our lives wisely and not being foolish, but it's incomplete if we aren't subjecting ourselves to one another. Subjecting ourselves to one another is God's will for your marriage. It's God's will for you as a parent as you raise your kids. It's God's will for you as a child as you seek to honor your parents, for you as a brother and sister, as a neighbor, as a church member, as an employee, as an employer, to submit yourself to one another in the fear of Christ. That's walking wisely. That's the will of God for you. 
Not demanding that others subject themselves to you and others wait on you by hand and foot and serve you, but rather loving and serving your neighbor. Not because your neighbor deserves it. Not because your neighbor will someday pay you back with interest for that good thing you did back in 09 that you haven't forgotten about, but rather in the fear of Christ, in reverence out of what Christ has done. And as we live our lives as a holy sacrifice to the Lord, giving of ourselves sacrificially to those around us, this is pleasing to God. This is God's will for our lives. Voluntarily subjecting ourselves to others invites accountability into our lives. It brings the dark areas of our hearts to the surface in confession. It makes the most of every opportunity, making use of those that Christ has brought into your life to point you to Christ. It fosters a spirit of humility and gentleness rather than of pride and harshness. Subjecting yourself to others is inviting another set of eyes to aid you in your walk, to point out the potholes or the icy patches that you can't see to remind you to watch your step as we need that reminder each and every day, to avoid the pitfall, pitfalls and stumbling that our sinful nature craves and to protect ourselves from the evil days in which we live in all the ways the world, the devil, and our own sinful hearts try to turn us away from Christ. It invites another brother or sister to come alongside you and to remind you of the finished work of Christ on your behalf. So brothers and sisters, Watch your step and make the most of your time and seize every opportunity to receive the grace of God because we can never have enough of it. We never run out of our need of God's grace. And don't be foolish and ignore God's clear will, but flee from sin and remind yourselves of the work of God in your lives and remind one another of the work of God in Scripture and for you and give thanks to God for Jesus Christ always and in Christ-like fashion, subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ and press on, continue to walk as children of the life, of the light. So brothers and sisters, watch your step and keep your eyes on Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you and we praise you that you are a God who has revealed to us yourself, that you have revealed to us your will, your desire for our lives that it's not some hidden thing, but it's clear in Scripture, that you have cautioned us about the various pitfalls that we have in this life, that you've made known to us the evil days in which we live, and Lord, the spiritual forces that seek to devour our souls as well. Help us to be on guard of the, with, from those, and Lord, help us to make the most of every opportunity to continue to receive the grace that you have given to us, to make the most of the opportunities of the people that you have put into our lives, Lord to confess our sins to one another, and to point one another to the finished work of Christ. Help us, Lord, to walk wisely in this world, to not be foolish, and to subject ourselves to one another willingly out of fear and love for you and gratefulness out of what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.